got a Bible or Bible app, open it up to the 11th chapter of Hebrews. And of course, we're opening our Bibles because this is Philida Bible Church, right? And uh, if you don't have a Bible of your own, there should be one in the rack in front of you or nearby that you can use. And uh, we'd love for you to take that as our gift to you if you need one. Write your name in it. Take it home. Read it. If, if you've actually hung around people who believe in the Bible, as we do, uh, then you know that we tend to make a big deal about faith. In fact, you'll often hear us quote verses like John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes, that word believes is the verb form of the same word we translate faith. So you could say, whoever has faith in him, in God's Son, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so right there, according to that verse, uh, what's at stake in whether or not we have Faith in the Son is a big deal. It is the difference between perishing and having eternal life. Or we may quote a verse like Ephesians 2.8. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And being saved is essentially the same thing as not perishing but have everlasting life. And so, the way that happens, it says, is through or by faith. So, clearly, uh, faith's a big deal. You're going to see it in our passage for today, in Hebrews 11. We're going to read a verse that says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Clearly, according to the Bible, faith is a big deal. Now, the good news is you can have faith, the kind of faith that pleases God, without understanding it very deeply. Uh, We know that because we know even uh, children. You know, most of us who have come to have faith in Jesus, when we first came to that place, we didn't really know all that much about what faith meant and and all that. And, And the Bible makes it clear little children can have a faith in God that pleases him. And their understanding is not that deep. But if you want to know you have faith, and if you want to help others have faith, the kind of faith that pleases him, well, then you do need to understand it. And so uh, Hebrews 11 is here to help us. Um, Because it's all about faith. Hebrews 11 is all about faith, the the kind of faith that God wants us to have, the kind of faith that pleases him, the kind of faith that connects us to his gift of eternal life and rescues us from perishing. Uh, And the way Hebrews 11 helps us understand faith is by first giving us a brief definition, and then it elaborates on that definition or it illustrates that definition with example after example of people, you can read about in your Old Testament, who had the kind of faith that pleases him. 
uh, and their names are listed in chapter 11 in kind of a faith hall of fame. In fact, some people have even called Hebrews 11 the hall of faith. Uh, and so uh, this message, we're going to just get started with the first seven verses, and then we will return for at least one more message, maybe two, because there's a lot here. But I would encourage you uh, over the next couple of weeks to take time and read the chapter on your own. But let's begin with verses 1 through 7. So here we go, picking it up at verse 1. Now faith is the assurance or being sure of things hoped for, the conviction or being convinced of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation by God. By faith, now he's going to go back to the very beginning of the Bible. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Again and again, God said, and it happened. Uh, by faith, uh, so that what, what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. The story there in Genesis says he walked with God, and that's a picture of God's pleasure with him. Verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So you can see, section begins with a brief definition of faith, and then it lists the first few examples of people who lived by faith, the kind of faith. Obviously, there's a lot of ideas about faith out there in the world, but the kind of faith that God uh, wants, the kind of faith that pleases Him, we have some uh, many examples of that. So what I want to do... Uh, this morning, is answer two key questions from this section. Question one, what is faith? What is it exactly? And then second question, why is it impossible to please God without faith? Or to turn the question around positively, why is faith the thing that pleases him? Out of all the things that God could say, you know, this is what I want, this is the main thing, why is it faith? Okay, so first question, what is faith? Verse 1 says, it is the assurance of things hoped for, being sure of things hoped for, the conviction of or being convinced of things not seen. Well, what does that mean? Let's start with what it doesn't mean. I like to do that because that helps us avoid possible misunderstandings. This is not telling us 
that faith is opposed to reason. As if believing in things not seen means believing in things without evidence. That is not what it means. Uh, That's a pretty common misunderstanding. You'll hear people say, for example, that faith is contrary or opposed to science because science is based on evidence, whereas faith is based on no evidence whatsoever. In fact, sometimes even in spite of evidence, it's believing. It it, uh, reminds me of a scene in the old movie Miracle on 34th Street where the little girl, Susan, who's been raised by her mother to be a hard-headed skeptic, is now being urged to believe in Santa Claus. (laughs) And there's this scene where I think she's sitting in the back of a car and she's saying, I believe, I believe. It's silly, but I believe. (laughs) And you know, for a lot of people, that is a perfect illustration of faith. Just believe without any evidence, even if it's silly. So is that what this means here? Is that what the author is telling us? To believe in things, you know, believe in things not seen, believe in things without evidence, even though it's silly. Actually, no, that is not what he means at all. Uh, In fact, this book, this book consistently connects Believing, genuine believing with reliable evidence, reasons for believing. The whole book is is showing us that connection. Let me show you. First of all, think about what we've seen in this book so far. And if this is your first time joining us in this journey, that's okay. You can easily confirm what I'm about to say by going back and reading the first 10 chapters. What has the message been to this point? Okay, it's that Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ is God's son, his unique son, and he is the Messiah that God promised to send to us to rescue us from sin and to rule over our lives for our good. And because of who he is, because he's God's one and only son, because he's the Messiah, he is greater. He's greater than anyone or anything else you could ever put your trust in. And you should put your trust in him. Uh, That's what the author wants us to believe. He wants us to believe. He wants us to have faith in Jesus because of who he is. Okay, now, how does he urge us to have that kind of faith in Jesus? Does he just say, hey, look, just shut up and believe what I'm telling you. Just believe in Jesus. He's the son of God. You need to trust him and obey him. Doesn't matter what the evidence is. Just do it. Well, if he had done that, this book would be a lot shorter. It would basically be one verse. It would say, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, your Messiah. Trust Him and obey Him no matter what, the end. But that's not what we have, is it? The author doesn't do that at all. What does he do? 
he gives us reason after reason for believing that Jesus is the Son of God, he is the Messiah, and we ought to have faith in him. We ought to trust him. We ought to regard him as greater than anyone or anything else. So he explains, he shows us how these Old Testament prophecies about Messiah and the new covenant that were made hundreds of years before Jesus was born, how they are all fulfilled in him. He explains how the Old Testament priesthood and the sacrifices and the temple all point to Jesus as God's ultimate solution to our sin problem, that he is our great high priest. He's the mediator between us and God. He is our perfect substitutionary sacrifice who takes away our sin and enables us to draw near. That phrase occurs again and again. Draw near to God through him. He tells us things that Jesus said. He tells us things that Jesus did according to eyewitnesses who saw him and heard him. In other words, he makes a logical case for believing in Jesus based on historical and scriptural evidence. So he's giving us reasons why we should trust and obey Jesus and regard him as greater than anyone or anything else. Okay, so that's chapters 1 through 10, but he's not done. We're in chapter 11. What do we have here? Well, we have example after example of people who lived with genuine faith. Okay, why is that here? It's to give us even more reasons to believe. So when you put it all together, the consistent lesson is this. <laughs> faith in Jesus makes total sense. It just makes total sense. It's sensible in light of all the evidence we have to believe in him, to trust in him. Of all that scripture says, of all that Jesus accomplished in history, um, it's, it's, it's contrary to sense to disregard him and not trust him. So, when it says here that faith is being convinced of things not seen, it's not saying it's believing in things with no evidence. That's not what it means. Okay, you ask, what does it mean? Good question. Take a look at verse 1. I want you to notice how it essentially says the same thing in two slightly different ways. Okay? It says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This is what is called parallelism. And parallelism is used throughout the Bible, and it's basically using two parallel expressions to communicate essentially one idea. So notice how the phrase, things not seen, in the second line, notice how that corresponds to the phrase, things hoped for, in the first line. You see that, everybody? Okay, good. You see it. All right, that's an important clue. What does it tell us? It tells us that things not seen and things hoped for essentially mean the same thing. 
So if we don't know what things not seen means, let's think about what things hoped for means. What does that mean? What's that expression all about? Things hoped for are things we are looking forward to that haven't happened yet. That's the biblical idea of hope. That's what we talked about back in chapter 10 uh, when we were talking about hope. Hope is having confidence, being confident in something good coming our way And we have that confidence that good is coming, not because of wishful thinking, but because we have good reasons for expecting it to happen. We have it on good authority, in other words. Someone said it's going to happen, and that person who said it is totally reliable, and so we're confident that it's going to happen. Okay, follow this carefully. I know this is... This is rigorous thinking first thing in the morning, but follow this. All right, if the assurance of things hoped for is pretty much the same idea as the conviction of things not seen, then things that are not seen are not things that are not real. They're things that are not yet. The reason you can't see them is not that they don't exist. It's that they're out of visual range. Okay? So let me give you an, idea, uh, an example to explain this. When our three sons were young, on several occasions, we loaded up the car and drove 1,000 miles south on Interstate 5 to go to grandma's house. Now, for 99.9% of the journey, 16 hours, in case you're wondering, no matter how hard our kids looked out the window, at the, out of the windshield to see grandma's house, they couldn't see it. Now, why is that? Is it because grandma's house is a myth? We only believe in it because of wishful thinking? No. No, we couldn't see it because we weren't there yet. You know, we had plenty of evidence. Karen had lived there. I had been there countless times. Um, We have pictures in a photo album. You say, oh, look, kids, there's Grandma's house. I I knew the road. I knew how to get there. I was on the right road. And we had these promises of a warm welcome when we got there. The evidence... And the promises were totally reliable. But we still couldn't see it. And that's the idea here. Faith is being, things of, being convinced of things you can't see. And the reason you can't see them is not because they're not real, but because they're not here yet. They're still in the future. We're not there yet. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? No, 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 no. We're not there yet. You say, well, okay, that's, that's clever. Is that actually what it's saying, though? Is that what it means, things unseen? Yes, it is. And we have confirmation in verse 7. So look at verse 7. Verse 7 talks about the example of Noah's faith. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. Same word as verse 1. 
in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. What were the unseen things God warned Noah about? The global flood that was coming. The judgment against humanity's sin that God was going to bring upon the earth. The judicial, the just condemnation of anyone who didn't get on the ark. Why couldn't Noah see those things? Because they were promised, but they were still future. They were still in the future. But notice, he was convinced. He was convinced that the things he couldn't see were real. And the proof that he believed it is that he built the ark. Now, here's why this is all important. When God asks you to have faith, and he does, when God asks you to have faith, he is not asking you to believe in things that are not real, things that have no evidence. On the contrary, he is act, asking you in light of all the evidence he has given you and me. In creation. Creation all around us. And the incredible complexity, the intricacy that points to an all-wise designer. In light of the evidence he has given you, in your conscience, your moral sense, that there are things that are absolutely wrong, which would not be true if God did not exist. In light of the evidence of his word, of fulfilled prophecy, in light of especially and above all, in light of the evidence he has given us in his Son, who was born into this world, who lived historically and died historically and rose from the dead historically. In light of the evidence of his son, in light of all this, God is asking you and me to believe that he will do everything he's promised, even though much of what he has promised is still future and you can't see it yet. That's what it means. To have faith, genuine faith. Now this sets us up to answer the second question, which is, well, why is that the thing that pleases God? Why is it impossible to please God without faith? Well, if you look at the words of verse 6, it says that in order to draw near to God... And according to this book, that's what life is all about. That's why you and I exist, to draw near to God. That is where true life is found. That is where true peace and joy are found. Fulfillment is found in drawing near to God. In order to do that, it's not enough just to believe that he exists. You must also believe that he is good. 
that He rewards those who seek Him. Well, why? Why do you have to believe that? Think about it. If you don't believe it, if you don't believe that He exists and you don't believe that He's good, you won't draw near to Him. You'll run away from Him. And that doesn't please Him. How could it? How could that please Him? Running from Him means running from life. Turning from Him means turning away from the source of everything good. And that doesn't lead to life. That doesn't lead to fulfillment. However much we might delude ourselves into thinking that it does, it leads to death. How could God be pleased with that? Look at Ezekiel 18.23. God says, Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Sovereign Lord. Rather am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live. It's when we realize that trusting in ourselves leads to death. And so we turn from that path and turn to Him. That's what pleases Him. Faith pleases Him because faith is going to Him. Leads us to Him. It leads us to life. It pleases Him. Here's another way to say it. Faith pleases God because faith faith is not simply believing facts about God. Faith means actually trusting Him as a person. As the wise and good and generous and faithful person that He really is. And see, that's why just believing in some generic God, why that's not genuine faith. It's not genuine faith. Real faith is believing in the God who is real. Real faith is believing in the God who showed himself real, made himself known to us in countless ways, especially in the person of his Son. Jesus is the ultimate definitive revelation of who God is. He's a person to be trusted So Hebrews 1, back at the beginning of the book, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. I remember uh, being in a classroom in high school with a girl who said, well, if there is a God, why doesn't he do something? He has. He's done a lot of somethings. He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He, the Son, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, that's the cross, His death on the cross for us, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. See, in Jesus, who entered history who lived among us, who lived among eyewitnesses, who saw what he did, who heard what he said and wrote it down for us, who died 
for our sins and rose from the dead, again, seen by eyewitnesses. In the person of Jesus, we have all the evidence we need to believe that God exists and that God is good. John 1.14 The Word, the Word of God became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, says John, eyewitness. We have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So what's truly amazing about the people we read about in chapter 11 of Hebrews, what's incredible, these people who have the kind of faith that pleases God, in other words, they turn to Him from their ways, they put their trust in Him personally, they were convinced that the things He promised were true even though they couldn't see them. These people had that kind of faith even before Jesus came. Which tells me that if they could have that kind of faith, if they could hold on to God's amazing promises based on everything they knew, you and I certainly can. Because we've got Jesus. We've got everything. We've got the ultimate evidence of God's goodness and His faithfulness in the person of Jesus. You say, well, I need to see Him. I see Him with my own two eyes. You can see Him right here. You say, well, that's not good enough. Don't say that. It is good enough. You know, too often our desire to have God speak to us in a different way It's not because we've fully exhausted this revelation. We've squeezed all the juice we can get out of what God's already revealed to us. It's because we're just like, man, I want something different. This chapter is going to give us a recital of God's faithfulness in the past in order to strengthen our faith in his promises right now. Because right now, you might very well be in a situation where you're having a hard time seeing the goodness of God. Those times happen. Or it's just really, really hard to see God's goodness in your situation. What do you do in those times? You do exactly what the author of Hebrews is helping us do. You consider how the God who is real, the God who is good, how He has kept His promises in the past, and you consider Jesus and how Jesus has guaranteed the fulfillment of God's promises for the future. Dwell on those promises. Read them. Think about them. They're going to happen because Jesus guarantees them. If we do that, and if we help each other do that, because sometimes what you need most 
when it just feels like you can't see the goodness of God is you need brothers and sisters who can help you remember and recite God's faithfulness. Not, I'm not talking about glib answers. I'm talking about genuinely helping one another see God's faithfulness past and all he has done in Christ to guarantee his promises for the future. If we will do that, then we can have the faith that pleases him. Why don't we pray together? Bow your heads with me. And I have no way of knowing who all has been listening to this. I can see some people here, but I know there's others tuned in online. And if you have never yet come to the place of saying yes to Jesus, yes to him as the Son of God, yes to him as the Messiah, who alone paid the ultimate price, became the ultimate sacrifice to take away your sin, to make you right with God based on him, and it's, you receive it as a gift of grace, a free gift that's the only way to have it, then I just urge you to put your trust in him today. Just call out to him. Say, Lord Jesus, please give me what you came to give anyone who trusts you. And if today you're feeling confident in the promises of God, then look around for those who are struggling who aren't feeling confident, and help them. Help them see Jesus. Help them see the faithfulness. And if you're one of those who's struggling to believe that God is good, rehearse his promises and cry out to him and say, Lord, I want to believe. Help me in my unbelief. Father, you've given us so much, and I confess it is easy sometimes, to overlook many of the things you have done and have given me, and uh, my attitude becomes one that is a lack of gratitude, a lack of appreciation. Lord, will you forgive me for that? Will you help us see the beauty of Jesus, see the beauty of who you are in him? Will you give us the grace to believe, even when it's difficult? Give us the kind of faith that pleases you. Help us draw near to you.